Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, today's guest is Tony Lovato, lead vocalist and guitarist for the Chicago, Illinois punk rock band, Mest. Together we break down the writing, recording, and inspiration behind the fan favorite single, Rooftops, taken from their 2003 self-titled album. We've heard this before on Krista Makes a Podcast, but Rooftops was a super late addition to the record, one that almost didn't make the cut. The track was written by Tony while the band was well into the process of recording the album. Producer John Feldman helmed the sessions once again, making this his third album in a row with the band. The production is awesome. Lots of peaks and valleys in this tune, and over 20 years later, it still sounds fresh. Tony mentioned that the song really resonated with their fan base, both lyrically and musically, and it's no surprise that this song has made every mess set list since it was released. Yep, kids, you gotta play your hit. And I swear it's John Feldman on backing vocals in a number of spots in this song. But Tony doesn't think so. We'll let you be the judge. So for all this and a whole lot more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Tony, how's it going? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. I feel like I just saw you, which I did. I just saw you at the MXPX show uh, about, jeez, uh, about a month ago now. Uh, and you're, you brought out your newborn. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, Little Clash's first show. I want to say he was three weeks old at that point. Yeah. Brand new. <laughs> Brand new baby. Brand new. And I know I have two kids of my own, and you have three now. So what's that like with, I mean, basically from everything that I'm seeing, I mean, Mest is playing a bunch of shows, has a, has a bunch of stuff coming up. I'm sure you're working on new material. So how you juggling everything? Luckily, I got like super mom. Like the wife is just, I mean, besides the three we have together, I have two stepkids too. So, I mean, it's a, it's an army, but yeah, you know, she just knows that this is what I do and she makes enough time to make sure it's, it's a lot of scheduling, put it that way. We're like, yeah. Like when you, when we talked or through message, I was like, let me talk to the assistant and see if I could, <laughs> see if I could do this. And sure enough, she's at the doctor's right now with both babies. And I'm just like, like she forgot that that appointment or it came up after. And I'm just like, I, she can do, I don't, I mean, carrying around a newborn and then having a one and a half year old 
and it's like raining out today of course the one day in california that it rains <laughs> and i'm like all right babe i'm like good luck you know hopefully everything turns out okay but yeah she's she's super mom man she's she's great that's awesome that she stepped into that role. And I, I, I will say, I've said this to my friends and, you know, we, we, all of us, we were young 20 years ago. We were running super hard, but I didn't have the same energy then. I, I wouldn't have been able to do what I do now then. And I, I probably could speak for you too. It's just, it, it takes some clarity, I think, in growing up <laughs> for sure. as well. Yeah, it, it definitely, uh, you have to prioritize your time and uh, the drinking has to be less, at least when you're at home. Like you can't hangovers don't work with five kids. So, <laughs> no, you know, yeah, so things, not at all. Change. Well, um, going back uh, twenty, actually twenty-one years now to two thousand three, uh, rooftops. The song we're going to talk about today was the second track on uh, Mess self-titled fourth studio album, uh, June tenth, two thousand three. You guys were out on the Warp tour with you guys. Yeah, got to spend the whole uh, the whole summer with you. The record peaked at number 64 on the Billboard 200. And this was the third record in a row that you uh, had John Feldman come back. And I got to ask, you know, Wikipedia has let me down many times, Tony. Yeah. But uh, John Feldman was was credited as a producer along with Young MC. Uh, Young MC, yeah. he, Which is crazy because right before the 2020 pandemic, the last show I went to was a Young MC show. Okay, and so so is this a real credit? It's it's a real credit, yeah. Young MC, but it wasn't on rooftops though. He worked on the previous record. Um, he's actually in one of our videos and stuff too. But uh, yeah, Feldman knew him or something, and so on uh, Cadillac we had him do like some scratching and shit. And, like, some oh wow! Stuff. And and then he's in the video too. Unfortunately, he's wearing a Cubs jersey, and we're Sox fans. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he was yeah he was in that video, and I got to go hang out with him and. And then uh, I, he was playing with like Vanilla Ice and Coolio, who then like sadly passed away like I don't know a year later or something. So I have my yeah. photo with Coolio and stuff. But yeah, he's that's real. That is awesome. Okay, so I had my my records a little confused, but at this point, you know, did you have any thoughts of maybe going with a different producer? Uh, and 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 I don't say this, you know, he's he's amazing. But uh, why'd you bring John Feldman back? I think because at that point in our career, still like I mean, it was like our our third major label record, I guess you'd call it, um, and our fourth record. But like at that point when we started, it was, we were still learning a lot about the producing side of things. And with John, it just seemed to work. And it was like that, okay, first record, uh, according to major label standards, completely failed. We shouldn't have been able to do a second record on a major label, but they saw like potential. They heard new songs in the second record and saw that we were selling some tickets. Second record, same thing technically complete major label failure in this day and age like it would be like gold on spotify whatever the fuck you know <laughs> yeah it is now but um yeah so like it was that third record where it was like all right here's our chance we got warp truck coming up you know like we just need to we need to really hone in on the past 12 years of being a band or whatever it was at the time and just write this record that sort of that's why we called it that's why it was the self-titled record essentially it was because it was sort of like for us encapsulated everything that was the band up until then and so working with John, it just sort of made sense that we were on the same page of what we wanted to do with that record, the record we wanted to make. And, you know, it was just 
it seemed to be, it seemed like it was the right thing to do. I feel there was a couple of bands he worked with. You guys, The Use, and I know Story of the Year, because I talked to them about this, that, you know, John kind of became the fifth member of the band, you know, kind of taught you things that maybe you wouldn't have, have, have had, uh, getting sounds in the studios and everything that a producer does. And I feel from Wasting Time, your first record, the major, it was the first major label record in July 2000 to Destination Unknown in 2001, there was a big leap here with this record. And and I got to ask, and the, re- the reason I had asked about, you know, coming coming back with John, remember 2003, The Used had been out, uh, their record, and maybe one or two, but he, he wasn't the producer he is today, you know, and you had, you guys had two records that didn't hit, so a lot of times a band or a label will say, hey, maybe it's time to change it up. Yeah, um, I mean, he was just our, he was our biggest advocate over at Maverick, you know, and we had, Guy Osiri was our a&R and he was the president of the label and that's sort of a like that's a, a good thing and a bad thing in a sense because if you want something done at the label your A&R guy goes and fights for you to get it done but he goes and fights against the president to make sure that it gets done if your A&R guy is the president it's good because if he says yes nobody else can say no if he says no there's nobody to go <laughs> above, above yeah him, you know yeah but um he, he loved John and believed in John so yeah, I mean, after we did Destination Unknown, we had went out on our first headlining tour, and we were selling out, you know, 500 to 1,000 cap rooms on, like, 80,000 records sold. So they saw, I think I think Maverick saw that and was like, okay, well, the band's doing something right. We just need to do something right, which, according to them, is get a band on the radio and, and make those sales go up so they can recoup the millions of dollars that they waste. So that was like, you know, I think that was where, uh, you know, it, it just made sense for them to go, it's working. They're doing something right. We just got to figure out what's the the missing piece to it all. Well, that's great insight. That that's cool. <laughs> you know, la- labels didn't have that much uh, forethought. You know, like hey, we're we're building a band at least in two thousand three. You know, For sure. the, the, the old seventies uh, and eighties they were called developmental deals. You know, you'd sell a hundred thousand on the first record and hope to sell two fifty on the second record and go gold on the third. Uh, but by this time, it's 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 interesting that they were still uh, behind John. And I think I think that's really cool. Can you take us back? to uh, writing Rooftops. Was it one of the first songs? Was it uh, one of the last ones for the record? Uh, do you remember writing it? I, it's been a long time. So when, when we talked about this, I was like, now nah, I got to really think back to what the fuck was going on 20 years ago. That was probably a song that I started writing during the recording of the record. Like I would go out there with a, a shit ton of songs. We'd sort of take the couple out that John's like, okay, these, these can work. And then while we're working on those songs, on my off time or when I was over at the Oakwood of fucking apartments, uh, I would just be writing acoustically, writing things, writing choruses, parts, stuff like that, to then come in and show John and be like, hey, got this, got that, whatever, tracking half demos. And so Rooftops was just sort of one of those songs, I think, where um, we were in the middle of making the record and I knew the concept of the song that I wanted to write. I knew the subject matter that I wanted to write. And so I think I just started writing it during the making of the record. Okay, so no demo exists of it because you created this in the studio, essentially. Yeah, no demos, no. No demos. Okay, well, I want to jump into this thing. There's a lot here, man. There's a lot of really cool 
uh, production things. And I don't know when the last time you went and actually listened to this song. But again, when I say this was a step up, I remember, I remember hearing this record and being like, wow, you know, and and again, a lot of times if you're using the same producer, I've found listening to bands, maybe things will change. Maybe they won't progress between records. But this was definitely a step up. Yeah, um, I think when it came to the production side of things, obviously John's doing other records in between ours and working with other bands that aren't just punk bands or whatever it may be. So, you know, I think from him working with these other bands and doing all this other production shit that he was doing, it was like slipping some of that elements into our songs where it makes sense to not overdoing it. You know, you don't want, you can't like make a mess song, a used song. It just doesn't work but you can think of ideas that well this would work here and sound rad on this song and there's similar parts and stuff so i think production wise too we were just more into making sure that each part worked and open to different sounds and shit like that you know like like the beginning has a very cure sounding sort of feel to it with the leads and stuff and all the flange oh, yeah. on the guitar and the, yeah the fucking uh china snare hit which is that's i'm trying to think of the cure song that way that's just like every other fucking beat is the fucking psh, psh, you know hit so yeah just taking different elements especially for us too we wanted to be like you know we don't only listen to punk rock music you know like i was a massive ccr fan growing up and meatloaf and shit like that you know like, <laughs> yeah yeah so it's you know it, it's more about songwriting at that point for sure well the song is three minutes and 54 seconds and like i said a lot going on here for uh for a pop punk band if you want to just break it down and what, what what people were calling you at that time there's a lot of a lot of cool production things here 16 bar intro the whole band is in right off the top drums bass and two clean yet slightly overdriven guitars with that delay flange thing that tony was just talking about uh, on bar 15 we get a dun 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 with the band which that is a a hook that's not a lyrical hook or a vocal hook uh in the song here and and, and we're gonna see that that dun 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 uh pattern repeat four times in the tune uh the whole band hits that along with distorted guitars stereo guitars come in there as we lead in to verse one i wrote it's got a cure kind of killers new wave kind of vibe here at the top and was that talked about in the studio was that uh, was that something john said we should go for this or were, were you hearing that tony i was always a fan of the cure growing up as was john so i think for us it was just, it was a pretty much like it just worked right away and we're like yeah this works you know because john's a big fan uh i was a big fan I mean, all the guys were, to be honest, all the guys are right. fans of the cure. But when you're, when you're back at the Oakwoods or something, and uh, for everyone listening, the Oakwoods is the rock and roll apartments. They put everybody up. And when you're, you're recording in LA, 100%. <laughs> yeah. All the, all the, all the kid actors are out there and hanging out. Yeah. But when you're there with your acoustic guitar, I mean, you're, you're just, you know, or wherever you were in the studio when you were first coming up with this, you were just playing the chords, right. the chord arrangement. Right. Okay. Do you remember when you first had the light bulb go, Hey, this, this should sound like this. When we first did the intro in my brain, it was more of just that beginning driving part. And in my head, it might've just been like driving right from the start, you know? Well, here's the thing too. The, the song wasn't going to go on the record at first either. So it, it took a lot to get it on the record, um, which part of it would be when I would have an idea or a song sort of sitting around with some acoustic guitars and sort of playing them. So I can't remember if it was in my head just to start it off driving right away or what, but initially the idea came from, because we're sitting there all in this fucking hippie circle playing on acoustic guitars, that you sort of like, as you're listening to that, since you've never heard anything else, 
it's sort of like, well, that works sort of the way that it sounds. So it almost has that acoustic feel in the beginning. So it's sort of just derived from that because even if in my head I was hearing distortion, we had played it so many times acoustically that we're like, well, why are we going to, this sounds right, you know? So it just sort of made itself. Well, speaking acoustically, is there a 12 string guitar in here at the top as well? Or is that maybe the flange from the acoustic making it or the chorus making it sound like a 12? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just the, um, the leads in it have so much fucking flange and delay bouncing around that it sort of feels like there's 12 strings going at once. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I have a, I have a plugin, uh, that, that I put on a, an acoustic guitar and it, it turns it into a 12 string immediately. It's really, it, it's really cool. That's crazy. Verse one comes right off, uh, the intro. <laughs> Staring at the broke streetlight, some of those lonely nights, I didn't know if we would make it through. Staying up till 5 a.m., watching the sun come up again, I'd do it all again if I could. Like I said, when it comes to like songwriting, like all the people that I looked up to are like sort of storytellers, right? Like that was sort of where my, my favorite songs always come from. Like I grew up in a neighborhood where everybody listened to Social D. So when I was like 11, I discovered Social Distortion. So I'd hear all these songs and he's like singing about his neighborhood and like, you know, pool halls now, 7-Eleven, stuff like that. And I grew up in a small town essentially that is, was around, established before Chicago even, on the south side of Chicago. So it's like generations of families and stuff. So like, you know, every name of the families around. So I'd always like, I always heard my neighborhood in those songs. And so when it was, sort of time to tell my story of, of my life. And especially at that, I was, you know, almost 23 years old at that point. For the most part, like the kids that grew up on the block with us, besides ones that were still either living with us or going on tour with us, people had sort of started to go their separate ways a little bit. I was kicked out of school when I was 15 years old, high school. So it sort of, it was the concept of reminiscing. I grew up on a dead end block where everybody would come hang out. I mean, there was like, you know, 20 kids a night just hanging out. And that was like me, cousins, best friends. It wasn't like just random people. It was like, that was the kids that lived in the neighborhood that we knew since we were six years old. But like just getting literal with it, the streetlight right above, right out in front of my house, we were the last house on the dead end block, would constantly be broken, probably because when we were kids, we'd always shoot it with BB guns or like throw baseballs at it and <laughs> shit. So like, it was constantly broken. And... I remember being a kid and, and when I when I first got kicked out of high school, I would everybody would have to eventually go inside and, and go to sleep because they had to go to high school the next day and I didn't. So for me it was a lot it was like thinking about just being up I spent a lot of time alone in those initial years, you know. Um, so sort of reminiscing about that and 
when we did get into our later teens and everybody was sort of out of high school, I mean, it was just a lot of late nights of staying up. We'd, we'd hang out on my roof in my backyard and like listen to music. And it was a lot of watching the sun come up type of shit. So it was really reminiscing about those younger years that no matter what, you, you eventually have to leave because whether it's college or jobs, or there's a little bit in those early 20s where everybody sort of has to start living a semi-real life, so to speak. Well, and, <laughs> you know, you're writing about stuff that was, you know, that you had been experiencing for five, six, seven years at this point. And that's what we do right. uh, when we write lyrics. We're, we're writing about our experiences that have happened to us uh, previously. It's like now you're probably not going to write a song about when you were 16 or 17. Right. You're going to write about something that that's uh, a little more recent. Uh, eighth note chugs on the stereo guitars and the bass along with the drums here on the first two lines. And the guitars open up on the third line. I didn't know if we would make it through. And another guitar comes in panned off right, playing a a little three-noter riff. Uh, the lead vocal here sounds doubled, Tony. Do you recall doubling vocals, or was that all John maybe in, in Pro Tools? It might be John fucking around behind our backs. I don't know. Um, we also did a lot of harmonies and shit on everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we get harmonies on staying up till 5 a.m., watching the sun come up again, and... I could. We get a harmony on the last line there. Uh, same thing here on the staying up till 5 a.m. and watching the sun come up again. The eighth note chugs in the stereo guitars and the bass. And then it picks back up on that last line. I'd do it all again if I could. Pick slides here. Uh, the guitar on the right starts a little bit ahead of the guitar pick slide on the left. Makes it sound real. I love stuff like that. And yeah. with, you know, Pro Tools was in its infancy in 2003 and people were taking it to the nth degree. They were making all the vocals exactly line up and right. hats off to John for, for leaving uh, a little the, bit of, that little, yeah, well, yeah, little little bit of a flourish. I like it. I feel you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that, yeah, that was the thing. It's like, Obviously, with the Pro Tools, you can over, overproduce if you want, but sometimes you do something by accident, you're like, well, it works. Why why change it? Exactly. Did John mix the record, Tony? Yes, he did. Yeah. He yeah. did. He did mix this. Yeah. Okay. Right off the heels of verse one, we go into pre-chorus one. It's just two lines. So if I call, will you be there? I miss the nights we used to share. And are you addressing anyone in particular there? Or is that just a general? Um, actually, you know, that line is sort of just has a, it does have uh, an actual person in mind. One of my best friends from like fourth grade, uh, we call him fat guy. It was sort of about him and then sort of about him talking to me in a way. Because I, there was a lot of times where he would try to reach out to me and I'd be busy or doing something or different schedules and stuff. So it was a little bit of like not only me sort of stating it to him, but him sort of stating it to me at the same time, too. You know, like it was a little plan, the whole relationship. Interesting here. Uh, we don't get any any harmonies in the pre-chorus, but the second line you can definitely, on I Miss the Nights We Used to Share, you can definitely hear the double unison lead vocal there. Uh, on the pre-chorus, the drums, bass, and stereo guitars are still rocking here. The guitars are wide open strumming, uh, not doing the chugs uh, from the verse. And there's a two-bar... Uh, build up here, Tony, after the word share, uh, Tom, it's like a Tom and snare build up uh, after share. And then the stereo guitars go by themselves that lead right in to chorus one. Up on the roof. 
up on the rooftop, listening to punk rock. Nobody believed us, this could be our one shot. That was all we had. The nights that we wasted got us to the days that seem never ending. Always in a haze, but we just up on the rooftop, listening to punk rock. Nobody believed us. This could be our one shot. That was all we had. The nights that we wasted got us through the days that seemed never ending, always in a haze. I remember talking to a lot of people about this song, and it was like, they sort of said like it became their sort of summer anthem, and they related to it, even if it wasn't like, even if they weren't initially hanging out on a rooftop, which we sort of did in a way, that's where my my garage roof. It could be a porch or whatever. Right, but it was sort of that concept of just like sitting around, hanging out, drinking with your friends. And then it sort of, it goes a little bit more because obviously it's like, like you said, face value, like it is what it is. But it was still a sort of about the concept that like you wanted to dive into this music career and everybody has those years where people don't necessarily believe in you. And it was sort of like that thing of like, well, we believe in each other. So as long as we have our group and everything, like we're we're going to be good. You know, like obviously when we started this band, it was just for fun. And then there were this is 10 years fucking later where it's actually becoming a big part of our lives. Um, so it's sort of just about sort of talking about the people that didn't believe in you, you know, like the people that sort of, Oh, what's your plan B that, that type of shit. So it, it was sort of just about, I guess the concept of believing in yourself and sort of like your own, you know, your own, uh, rooting anthem, so to speak. Yeah. And I, and, and again, I think that, uh, Definitely younger kids could look at this, especially I say kids, people in their early 20s. I mean, I, I know I, I was playing in the band at that time, but I was confused about life. I still had my parents saying, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? sure. What's what's plan B? It's like plan B. It's like, is, is there any beer left in the in the van? I mean, that, okay, that's plan B. <laughs> that's 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 <laughs> plan B. Chorus one here, the band goes halftime. Stereo guitars and bass are playing these staccato chug chugs uh, on the line. Nobody believed us. This could be our one shot. The lead vocal go distorted kind of processed uh panned off slight left the next line that was all we had we get a lone harmony there uh in this chorus and on those two lines it's really cool an extra pair of stereo guitars come in it's really subtle it's not like it's super loud but you you can feel it you can hear it but you can you can more uh more so feel it. the lead vocal here in the chorus is definitely doubled uh you can hear it it doesn't sound bad like a bad double it's it's it sounds uh it just makes the chorus sound big on the line always in a haze we get a pick slide panned off right and then that takes us right into what i'm calling the post chorus tony this part's awesome i don't really consider it uh part of the chorus But we just didn't care is the lyric. No, we just didn't care. Yeah, it's funny hearing you break everything down like this because that's the way my brain works too. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, for for me, when writing choruses too, there's always like, when you're writing a song, you sort of start writing parts. And I think especially when it comes up to the chorus, you just you can write a chorus and you know, like, does the chorus need a pre-chorus? Does it need an outro? Like, is the hook there within the chorus that you're done at that point, you go in the second verse? So I think when writing this song, it was like, you're right, like that isn't part of the chorus. That's the outro of the chorus. So it's like, there's a verse, there's a pre-chorus. Then there's 
you know, the main chorus. And it's yeah, like all those little parts for me, it's like when I when writing a song, you I've always liked the concept of like the roller coaster, the adding of production to each part and you know, making sure that the song builds. Yeah. As it goes on. So yeah, I mean, to me that was just like you're saying all this shit in the chorus, and then you gotta sum to me it's like summing up something. And to sum up the to sum up my thoughts of what I was trying to say, that those last two lines in the outro is just being like, but we really didn't give a fuck what you thought. You know, like that was like we didn't care. We were just kids having fun. This is what we were gonna do. This was the like chapter of our life that was okay to be doing this. Yeah, there was there was no plan B. Right. I, yeah, I still don't have a fucking plan B. So we have to yeah. figure that out. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I think the reason, Tony, I separated this as a post chorus is because the band is no longer going halftime. Right. So we, we speed back up. The bass tone and the bass part is ripping on the first didn't care. It's just awesome. I love the tone there. And on the just didn't care, great harmony there. And then the whole band, just like the intro, does the dun, dun, dun. Yeah. We get those three hits again, which I, I talk about this a lot on the show. You know, I always thought a hook was a chorus, hit, hit you over the head vocal or, or a lyric. I think I know what you're going to say right now. Yeah, and this dun, dun, dun happens four times in the song. Three times with the full band, and then you get it just on the acoustics at the outro, which we'll, we'll get to in a bit. But I I never thought about that until I started uh, this podcast, and I started looking at little things within songs. I'm like, oh, there's a theme there. That happens four times. Was that ever talked about, that dun, dun, dun? Yeah, like the big thing for me with songwriting because I, I started out playing drums as a kid so for me hooks were never just the melody obviously the the hook of the song you have to write a good hook for a chorus of people that's the fucking the simplicity of a you know, simple part of writing a song right that's what everybody thinks but for me when writing a song you know i mean think about that papa roach song that i mean that's the fucking song like obviously there's all these melodies and shit like that or you think about like enema of the state Travis's bit, but a bit, a bit, 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 a bit, a bit. That fucking fill of this snare to the hi hat to the roll around the kit. He does that in every chorus, and then that type of shit to me is like hooks of a song that are on the instruments, and like to have that type of stuff, I think is super important throughout the entire song. So it's not just about like if you have that dun dun dun, you know that, and you do it a couple more times, and you, and and you obviously you can vary up different parts of it change it just a little bit, but to have hooks within the instruments and the music makes so much sense to me because you want to constantly get that shit in your head, you know? And that's always been a big part for songwriting for me is drum hooks, guitar hooks, stuff like that. Hey everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Tony Lovato coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. And now back to the show. Verse two, right after that, that uh, dun, 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 we were just talking about uh, with the band. We're right into verse two. Care, the 
The only place that we could go, staring at a world we didn't know, wondering if this is all we had. 40 ounce intoxicated dreams, all our faded memories. That's what made us who we are today. Yeah, I mean, that was that, you know, the same referencing of like being that the kid with sort of nowhere to go, essentially. Staring at the world when you, you know, you're high up on a rooftop, sort of looking at everything, just trying to think about things. A lot of drinking involved. The 40 ounce intoxicated dreams was like, you know, although you have obviously your your ambitions and your dreams as a kid, like you're always thinking about, but it's like just getting that buzz and listening to music and just like gets you riled up and you sort of have those feelings of like what you want to do. You know, living in a blue collar neighborhood and just sort of like, this is what we do, like all those years of just growing up and all the shit we went through, it's like, this is, you know, it's, it's that, that concept of like your environment, your neighborhood, like what you go through. And it's like, that was more of like that concept line of that's what made us who we are today. Meaning like in that day and age, now I'm 23 years old. I'm in a band. I believed in myself. I got this far based on my own fucking thoughts, based on my own drive, ignoring all the outside people. Um, and that's that type of shit is what made me, you know, in, to get to this point, you know, well, I love verse two because, you know, I, at, the, at the top here, I talked about the production of this song. You certainly could have just copy and pasted the rhythmic parts of verse one. For but sure. no, the whole feel here changes. It's just kick, hi-hat, bass, and stereo guitars are ringing out for the first two lines. Again, it's a nice change up uh, from verse one there. On the first two lines, the only place that we could go and staring at a world we didn't know, there's a really cool uh, filtered like delay on the vocals that happens there. Um, and then we get an awesome harmony on wondering if this is all we had. It sounds like Feldy on that. Is that him on that harmony? Uh, I think it's Jer, and he just probably made Jer fucking squeeze his nuts and just fucking... <laughs> okay. Did John sing on this track anywhere? Because I swear I hear him later in the song. It's possible. I like, you know, like, for the most part, because Jeremiah was a singer, he would just make Jer hit some notes and shit that he wasn't necessarily comfortable with but um i'm sure john threw in some harmonies and stuff it didn't sound like you going up high here and and i know i know, you know jeremiah could sing i just didn't I, I i just figured oh john's a producer he can sing it it sounded like john there i'm gonna go back and listen now and see if i could hear that because it's funny because i like on that uh, blink record he did i hear so much of john in there and i can i know john's voice and i'm like that's definitely yeah john, dude like well it sounds like here mick I'll, I'll point out a couple more spots as as we comb through this but on that line we're speaking of that riffy guitar from verse one is here again panned off to the right on the 40 ounce intoxicated dreams all our faded memories line cool delay there again on the lead vocals and on the last line again we get a harmony that's what made us who we are today that sounds like Feldman to me. I wrote Feldman for sure, but now I don't know based on based on what you said. Memories, that's what made us who we are today. Also, on just that last line, Tony, uh, just the last line, we get an octave guitar that comes in there. And then we get another pick. You can never have enough pick slides on a record. I will stand by that. Uh, we get a pick slide right and left to take us into pre-chorus two. Yeah, I mean, pick slides are, are fantastic. And they are the when you fuck up live and you and you can't remember where you're supposed to play or what if you're on the wrong note. You They're great for that. Put a pick slide <laughs> and you're fucking golden. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll definitely, uh, definitely save you. This verse, 
you know, again, you're writing the, the chords real quick. I'm sure that at some point the verse might have been like, oh, we're just going to do verse one again. How did this come about changing the whole feel and the whole uh, sonic uh, texture here? Yeah, I mean, like I, like I was saying before, like when it comes to writing songs, I feel like there has to be tons of dynamics. Like it's a fucking roller coaster ride. You know, you got to like, the roller coaster doesn't just fucking shoot straight the whole time, it doesn't do loops the whole time. Like that's what makes a roller coaster fun. And so it's like when writing a song, you sort of have to, take the listener through that same part. And I feel like I've always sort of wanted to write songs too, like thinking about, this is sort of weird, but as you as I get into the structure of the song, I essentially think about performing it live. And because it's like the audience sort of gives you, you learn this over touring over years, is like, why did they like this song more than that song? And like, I don't think it's always just melody. I think it does have to do with the song structure um, and how the song's played. And in my head, there's some times where I'm thinking like, okay, obviously we could just go back into the dun, 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 dun shit, right? But it's like, what's going to make this song sound better than just a pop punk song? Like, what is going to make it, somebody hear it that's a songwriter and it sort of grabs their attention a little bit more and they listen to the actual song as opposed to just, you know, oh, here's just another pop punk song about drinking and being an asshole, you know? I feel like the lyrics jump out here a little more on verse two. Yeah, like they hit you in the heartstrings a little more. Yeah, and I mean that's a, like yeah, exactly. So when you're when you're trying to tell a story, if you focus on the lyrics and the the vocal part a little bit more, it change, you know it helps tell the story too. And I think that breaking it down like that in that very first part of that verse, sort of like you're telling the story and there's like a calm part for a second and it comes back in. You know, like it's like the same thing like watching a movie and shit. You know, like you sort of want to get that whole adventure so to speak so if i call will you be there i miss the lights we used to share well pre-chorus two uh comes right after verse two it's the same lyric and i think you know looking at this on paper tony i, I, I as i stare at it here i think it was the right move that you kept uh, the pre-chorus lyrics the same, yeah. Because yeah, the co- the chorus is super hooky, but there's a lot of info there vocal-wise. It's not just saying rooftops over and over. There's a lot of a lot of information. So we get the same lyrics. So if I call, will you be there? I miss the nights we used to share. However, we get a harmony on both lines this time. After the first line, so if I call, will you be there? Is a call and response. If I call, will you be there? It's a double vocal on this one line only right. that is panned left and right. Not a hard left and right, but it's panned. And I swear that sounds like John on that part too. No, that's just, <laughs> that's just, uh, it's just a telephone part. Oh, okay. I, I don't, I'd have to listen to see if, it, if it's either me or Jared, but that is that concept of, like I was saying, like where, when I wrote that line, it was not only about me sort of re- referencing to a friend, but him referencing to me. So it's sort of like that talk back, sort of like back and forth conversation yeah but yeah and then when it goes into that the last part i missed the lines we used or the nights we used to share and it like it's more of like the screaming out building up where you're like you know it's you're getting all of it out of you of like we want it to be the same but different and that's what i mean by hooks and stuff you know like well no and this and this definitely pre-chorus too grows i mean there's an octave guitar here that's not on pre-chorus one uh that gives that gives it a great texture really cool bass tone here on that last line i just i i love like like some of the little uh bass runs that are happening before we go into chorus two there and on the last line i missed the nights we used to share you can really hear the double vocal here it's a cool melody fluctuation too on on share that you do there and uh i, I can't say it enough the bass tone there is awesome leading in to chorus two 
and lyrics as chorus one basically on the line that was all we had there's a harmony panned off right that sounds kind of processed here it's cool it's not on chorus one and i know a lot of this stuff happened in the mix take us to that point when you were hearing the mix back of this stuff were you you stoked on where john was putting the effects and and putting the stuff yeah i mean i think initially a lot of that stuff it was our third record. If you, anything, if he was doing anything like that stuff on the first two records, it was. What do you mean you're going to add this? What do you mean we're going to add another guitar on the left side? What like you know? It was like learning about proper recording and like, you know, because when you play live, like John always said, he goes, "How you play the song live and what we're going to do in the studio is just different." Yeah, you can capture more in the studio. You can get that vibe. Like live, you get to throw the whole energy out there, which can ride that whole song. But like in in order for people to like as a musician, you I can put on headphones and hear shit that nobody else is gonna hear because I'm listening for little things that build and add and you know what I mean, layer stuff. And so by this record, I understood that concept. So it's like the average listener blasting this in their car, I guarantee isn't hearing the way you're describing it. Like they they're hearing it. <laughs> they don't know why it sounds this way. Right. You know? And right. so it's our job to be able to like make the song sound like you're watching a band live, sort of to give that that energy and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's funny to say all this because all these songs, like, you know, playing live, like you can, you just play it live and the energy is good. But I'm like, and I want to do like everything the way you're describing these songs. When we're in rehearsal, I'm like, I nitpick with every little part. I'm like, yeah, but you got to make sure that when the drums go do do papa, the bass and the guitars are doing it with it. That's got to be tight as fuck that part, you know, like, because otherwise live, just everything's going to be a same level of fucking, you know, same level of energy. And like literally like this is the new thing that like all the vocal shit you're saying, I want to do all the those little vocal things you're talking about. Like, so when I'm doing it live, it sounds like that record, you know what I mean? Adding delays and yeah. the distortion and shit like that. Like that's how my brain gets. So it's like, yeah, it's, this is going to be a whole nother pedal of life going on. You just held up some kind of vocal processor and showed. Yeah, showed me, it's so just got all the that's what Tony different settings about and shit. <laughs> and like, it's, you know, to do those telephone vocals and those extra, those delays or flange on the vocal shit like that, the big stereo sounds like I want to do that shit live. So I was like, a text like, all right, well, here you go. He's like, learn it. I'm like, all right. Learn it. Well, the last three lines, the nights that we wasted, got us through the days that seem never ending, always in a haze. There's a loud octave guitar panned off right. You're talking about the song building. There's just tons of stuff floating in and out here. Can't say enough about the production. Uh, that octave part is not there on chorus one. And then we get a pick slide Again, left or right, and uh, I can't have enough pick slides going into post-chorus two. Same lyric again, but we just didn't care. No, we just didn't care. You get harmonies on both of those lines that time. The harmonies on both lines here, um, there's a vocal that says go that you say. Uh, It's panned off kind of left and right. I call it delay ping pong that happens there, leading in uh, to the next part, which is an eight-bar musical interlude.
this is the most interesting part of the song to me, Tony, because there's really nothing here. Right. It, it's drums, bass, and stereo guitars. It's really simple and stripped back production, but I think it needed to be that going into the next part because, wow, you want to talk about just a completely different world. Like you're kind of rocking out to these four chords and then you're just into this lush tapestry of sound that happens. Yeah, and that, like I was saying, that's the part where it's like live. Like when I think about these songs and I'm like, what would we be doing live in this part? And that was one of those parts where you said it is just simple. And it's like, in my head, I'm like, this would just be a part where it'd be the fucking four of us just going dance, 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 dance. You know what I mean? Like, it's just that, that simple fucking dookie style. Well, yeah, but you know, I, I think if you would have ran an octave guitar and, and another overdub guitar noodling around, I, I think it needed to be this, but I never would have done that. That wouldn't have probably been an instinct of mine to go. It, it, this is the simplest part of, of the song, yeah. you know, the most stripped down. I think it was like about setting up the next part, which is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it is. The next part's eight bars of a drum loop. There's a shaker off to the left, a beautiful clean guitar uh, playing off to the right like some arpeggios. And uh, there's some, sounds like digital fluttering, Tony, <laughs> off to the left, like this stuff that's happening, some noise maybe John created in Pro Tools. I think, it, so there's like, it's a reverse delay on the guitars and it's a swell. So when you're playing the notes, you hear the main notes, but then when this reverse delay comes in, it, but it plays the, plays the notes too so the notes will line underneath it so it sort of like fucks with the air and you can't really tell what it is but we actually do it live too because it's because we use the Kemper so you can do that reverse delay thing oh wow okay but okay yeah, but it's like a stereo reverse uh swell delay am i hearing some really lower single piano notes here as well uh, i'm sure we layered some piano shit in there too i mean there's strings in there too so we really like Production-wise on these parts, we would get over the top with the strings and like layer the, the musical part first, but then it was like you fill it up. You know what I mean? That wall of sound sort of sort of stuff. This part, uh, it's beautiful. It leads perfectly into the bridge. The lyric is, all these nights left alone is what made us. All these nights left alone is what made us. It's what made us. Like I said, my concept for writing choruses too, especially when there's a bridge, I always think like the bridge can sort of sum up the entire song. Like I feel like you're telling the story and the chorus sort of does that too, where you're you're telling the story in the verses and then the chorus has to sort of uh, encapsulate the whole song in a way and what you're singing about in these verses. But to me, the bridge is always like a simplified version of what the song is. Lyrically, I always try to take it that route and that sort of, so those lines sort of made perfect sense for me for this like very over uh, like ambient, big sort of bridge. 
I've looked at it that way before, Tony. It's interesting you said I've looked at like the bridge of a song a lot of times as like the cliff notes, the cliff notes for the rest of the song. Right. <laughs> you know, it kind of kind of kind of sums up everything. Well, we get some cool stuff here after the first line you say made us. There's like a a whisper. But it's kind of creepy. It kind of like circles around. It's really, really interesting. That is the same thing. But on the vocals, it's like a reverse, reverse swell. So it's the vocals coming back in. And so it's like this of that vocal part, which I used to try and do live. And then I saw it once when it, like, it was like a, a warp Tour thing. And it happened to be, I think they aired it on like MTV2. And I might have tried to pretend to do that. And it was fucking stupid. So I was like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, that's a record. Yeah, it's not a live thing. Yeah, we, we we try as musicians to recreate things sometimes, Tony, that we just can't pull off. I've been <laughs> yeah, guilty, of it. Guilt, guilty of it myself. But this part, this musical part we were just discussing with the shakers and the, the digital fluttering, that's continuing as the lyrics are going on here. After the first line, we get a rim shot panned off to the left with this delay on it. It's like bang. It's uh, just uh, it's dr- yeah. it yeah. It's really it's really driving on the line. All these nights left alone is what made us a marching band snare comes in. Anytime a marching band snare comes in, sign me up. Yeah. I love it because you know it's leading up. Right. It's a crescendo. It's a, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna smack you. Also, we have a synth that comes in right around uh, that line there on the last line. It's what made us. We get those stereo left and right harmonies on that one line there. And then we're into chorus three. get a process vocal on the first couple lines up on the rooftop listening to punk rock nobody believed us this could be our one shot and the band is playing eighth note build-ups while drums uh, are on the floor tom in the snare there and then on the next line that was all we had we get the dun dun dun, dun. yeah stops of the band happen again right there right prior to that there's a big snare roll that happens the stereo guitars are doing this like uh left and right and the delayed vocal uh of had is by itself for like a second second and a half it's a really cool like pre-delay and delay on that vocal and then the band comes in uh, up on the rooftop listening to punk rock nobody believed us this could be our one shot that was all we had octave guitar and that three noter guitar riff are now present here on this part and on that line there tony we get another harmony on that was all we had there's like this new rhythmic turnaround from the whole band it almost sounds like the wheels are going to fall off yeah um i think that that with that bridge being so big and and all that those different layers as it builds up and builds up in the strings and and then the marching snare coming in it was like we probably could have taken it from that part straight into that last chorus or even from that part just doing the dan 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 and went into last chorus but it was like it felt like we could still sort of journey this song through that build of the uh first lines of the chorus building with that where it's like you're sort of like anticipating it all again and it's like it just made sense to sort of take this broken down bridge and go right into a broken down chorus because you know you're going to get that last fucking that last big 
chorus. Yeah, well, we we don't get a true double chorus here. It's right. kind of a fake out because those first three. Right. So I, I think I think a double might have been uh, might have been overkill because the song is almost four minutes long. So I think you guys made the right call there. The nights that we wasted got us through the days that seem never ending, always in a haze. But uh, there's another octave guitar that joins in here, and the band is not going halftime anymore here. Like chorus one and chorus two, we have sped up post-chorus three. Harmonies on both lines again, but we just didn't care. No, we just didn't care. And then we get an eight-bar outro of just guitars. Uh, there's a strumming guitar panned off left and a clean guitar panned off right. Sounds like uh, this is the part where I thought maybe there was a 12-string here. Do you recall? There's an acoustic there, but yeah, it's probably just the flange of everything that's with all those different... Because uh, I think there's an acoustic and, th- and then there's an electric clean electric in it too with those leads and might have been the acoustic with like with some chorus or flange yeah, on it that makes probably. it sound like it it's a beautiful sound here at the end and then <laughs> again the acoustics end with john 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 yeah i mean that outro is essentially the intro without the the drums and the bass coming and everything so it was like you know like i said hooks there should always be hooks throughout the song but not just the vocal hook and so like it was like it, it, it played out whereas like you know, the ending of a movie where you're like watching the credits roll and there's like this music playing in the background sort of thing. And yeah, it just made sense to, you know, to go into that part broken down. It's a great song. I, I Thanks, man. appreciate you taking the, taking the time to break it down. I've seen you guys play this. I, I love songs that have the chorus. You know, when you hit the chorus, the whole audience is going to be pogoing. Yeah, it's They're jumping. Yeah. It's just it, it's just one of those songs that's kind of like a gimme. It's like, okay, you know, and I got to ask, have you played Rooftops at every mess show since you wrote it? Uh, undoubtedly, yes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, I was going to say, if you did, I'd have to track you down and, yeah. and, and uh, knock some sense in you. You got to play it, man. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Is, uh, yeah, this is the guarantee. <laughs> cool. Well, listen, before we break, what do you got for uh, for everyone listening? What What's coming up in Tony's world with Mass? What, what do you got going on? Um, we got a couple of shows here in the States. Uh, we're doing like a Pop Punk's Not Dead Festival in Texas in April. A show out in like Havasu on like the 13th with Caballero's Band. Um, then we're head over to Europe around May 25th. And we're doing a, a European tour. We're doing the Spam Festivals over there. Um, and then we have a new single that's coming out this April, uh, fuck, first week of April, called When We Were Young. Uh, it features Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup on it. We wrote this song way before uh, and started shooting the video in 2022, December, uh, before Blink put out their When We Were Young song. So, uh, you know. <laughs> Like, Isn't that like, always the case? Or 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 Vegas decided to have a when we were young festival. Yeah, of course. Yeah, which which my son's mother worked the very first one ever that they had out here at the observatory. So oh, cool. You know, just uh, but yeah, I mean that song. Uh, when I wrote that song, is more of the concept of like writing a, an anthem for this day and age of people, like Rooftops was for back then. So, but yeah, that comes out in April. So check that out when uh, in April, whenever the fuck it's out. Awesome, buddy. Well, good seeing you, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Cause I'm alone again. Empty bottles, empty 
Hey, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode with Tony Lovato, but don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to makes a podcast coming right up after a few words from our sponsors. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Down! The wrath of the buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's band you might not know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, email your best song and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Middle Out, a Detroit-area Midwest punk rock band. You can find their music on all the streaming services, and their new album arrives in May 2024. Here's a snippet of their song, Ballerinas. Chris and Chris. So Chris, Tony talked a lot about storytelling in this episode, and I think that's what a lot of people go to music for. I think that's why Bruce Springsteen is so huge. I think that's why country music is so huge. And uh, I think that's a big part of why this is one of Mess's biggest songs. Yeah, I agree. You know, he had talked about uh, social distortion and, you know, what a great storyteller Mike Ness is. Uh, and, and, and Social D straddles the line kind of between, you know, punk rock and alt country. And a lot of country musicians, of course, have, have uh, you know, great uh, visual type lyrics. So, yeah, I totally got what he, uh, what he meant by that. Yeah, and he was also talking about how everybody has those years where people don't necessarily believe in you. But in this case, when you're in a band... I think you may have experienced this. I know I did. You believe in each other. So as long as you have each other to kind of feed into the belief, you're going to be good, you know? Oh, yeah. It's it's like anything else. You know, I've had to go play acoustic things with Roger, and they're fun and everything, but, you, you know, you're, you don't have your whole whole band with you. Or when I go out and play, a, you know, by myself solo, it's, you know, you're you're <laughs> naked left to your own devices. But when you got your gang there, your team, you're uh, you're intact. Yeah, that made me think about how even till today, you know, I actually want to ask you if you ever experienced this, Chris, because, you know, your band's a very popular, well-known band. But are you ever in situations that could be like a distant family member or just like a random person who knows you play in a band, but don't know that you play in like a band band, like a touring worldwide known band? Are you ever in a situation where you kind of have to explain to someone, no, I actually like am in a real deal band, but you don't want to sound too braggy about it, but you're still trying to let them know that it's for real? Or are you past that at this point? Yeah, kind of past that. I mean, if if they, you know, 
uh, keep asking questions and where do you play? What do you do? Like, how many people do you play for? Of course, I'll 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 divulge at that point. But uh, you know, a lot of times I'll just they'll ask what the name of the band is, and then if I come back and see them again, let's say it's someone local or you know where I live, and if I I'll come back three weeks later to the hardware shop or something, and the guy be like, "Man, I looked you up on YouTube. Oh my God!" You know? Yeah, I I, just, I was just wondering if the moment we always talk about the moment you tell someone you're in a band, it's always. Well, my buddy got a bar where they have bands play, you know? Like no, that that's that's definitely happened. Yeah, man. Okay. Hey, yeah, come down and play four 45-minute sets down at my bar. It's like, uh-uh. Nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. I like, it's been coming up a lot in episodes recently, Chris, that you talk about how hooks are not always just vocal hooks. We all think of that hooky vocal, but anything. You know, Tony talked about Travis Barker's drum fills. They used the Papa Roach riff as an example. But yeah, it could be anything in the song that kind of hooks you in. Yeah. And I mean, I just pointed out this the, these three hits that the band do in this song because it happens four times. So it's more than a hook. It's kind of like a theme. I think I kind of mm-hmm. want to maybe rephrase that. There's there's a theme going on here. Someone said, definitely at the end, someone was like, yeah, the dun-dun-duns have, have to happen on the acoustics. You know, it's it's part of the part of the song, the blueprint and the heartbeat of the song. I also thought it was interesting when he talked about that kind of bare bones musical interlude that Tony said he was thinking about the live show. That's a moment to rock out. You and I have talked about that recently, like thinking about the live show when you're writing a song. I don't know that I do that as much as I used to. I mean, think about that when I'm writing, but it's definitely a cool thing to think about when you are known as a live band. Yeah, and and we've gotten into that, uh, I've talked about it before, that argument <laughs> with producers. Like, we're making a record. If we want to put acoustic guitars and piano, it's like, yeah, but we don't have that. you know. So it's the age-old argument. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it, there's times when I kind of uh, uh, waffle back and forth on that. I don't, you know, it's it could go either way. Yeah, and speaking of going either way, Chris, <laughs> you could go listen to Chris to Make the Podcast, or if you're a member of our supporting cast, you could go listen to the after party. That's right. And the after party is where you and I get to talk at people even more because they seem to <laughs> like it, Chris. So head over to ChrisDemakes.com and you can be part of our supporting cast, which is like Patreon. So please uh, support us. We, we appreciate the help. I love talking at people. We don't just talk at them. We try- <laughs> uh, well, I guess technically we do talk at them, but uh, we try to talk at them in a very informative and entertaining way. You might learn something. You might have a laugh. And on top of everything, you're helping us continue Make Chris to Makes a Podcast. Isn't that the coolest part of it? I mean, the bonus episodes are cool, too. <laughs> exactly. Thanks for all your help. And check out Chris to Makes a Podcast on Instagram, because Chris puts up a lot of clips uh, with the guests that I have uh, on the main episode here, as well as, uh, you know, the after parties and stuff. So you can go there and check it out and see what it's all about. And give Chris a follow at Chris Fafalius on Instagram. Give me a follow, too, if you don't mind, at less than Chris D. want to thank this week's guest, Tony Lovato from Mest, for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died. 
And while we're still talking about them so long after... It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember. The ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>